Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our living and risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When my brother David was still in college, him and I took a trip together down to Austin, Texas. It took us just about a day of constant driving. We stopped for gas and food, obviously, but we didn't stop for the night to get down there. And when we got there, we were there for only maybe 20 minutes or 20 or 30 minutes. I don't remember exactly how long, but it wasn't long before we turned around and drove right back. It's kind of a long way to drive and a lot of gas just for 20 minutes in Austin, Texas. There must have been something that we thought was very precious, very worthwhile for us to go to all that expense and take that that long trip down there just for 20 minutes. Similarly, in our gospel reading this morning, we heard how the Magi went on a longer trip, longer in duration. It took them a lot longer. Uh, might not have been that much longer in distance, but certainly longer in duration. Months and months of, of travel through harsh conditions just to see Jesus and lay their gifts at his feet and then turn around and go right back home. Matthew doesn't tell us how long they were actually there in Bethlehem, but it does seem like it was a pretty quick, short visit. They came, they saw, and they left. And yet, uh, Matthew also tells us that they were, that they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. I don't know that David and I were all that joyful after a full day of driving in the car, but the wise men certainly were. Obviously, there was something very precious to them that they were willing to go through that expense and that long hard journey just for half an hour to see and worship Jesus the King. The Magi kind of put us to shame with this regard, don't they? Because they traveled for months to worship Jesus and yet we often sometimes aren't willing to travel 10 minutes uh, to worship Jesus on Sunday morning. Our sermon text this morning, in our sermon text this morning, the prophet Isaiah reminds us just how precious that gift was that they came to see and why it was that they were willing to go through that long, hard journey. We begin with verse 1 of Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Isaiah speaks here to those who are sitting in darkness. My father used to sing these words to us when we were trying to sleep in the morning in the darkness to get us to get up out of bed. Isaiah similarly speaks here to those who are in darkness. The Israelites were slaves in Babylon, very literally in darkness, physically. And Isaiah comes to them with this surprising proclamation. Don't be downcast, don't be disheartened, but arise, wake up, and shine. Why? Because your light has come. The prophecy that Isaiah gives here, uh, not only in this first verse, but in uh, our whole text this morning, is fulfilled to a lesser degree in the story of the Magi that we heard from our Gospel reading in Matthew. Uh, Similarly, this first verse, the the light of the star literally rose upon the people of Israel, calling them to get up and go and see the king. 
Of course, none of the Israelites actually listened to the words of the prophet. None of them saw the star and recognized the call to come and worship, but the Magi did. But the greater fulfillment is the spiritual. The greater fulfillment isn't the star, but Jesus himself, who is the glory of the Lord risen upon us. That glory of the Lord appeared to Moses in the burning bush, and it appeared to the children of Israel as a cloud and as a pillar of fire. And Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord lifted high up. All these saw the glory of the Lord in a vision, but to us, the glory of the Lord has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And what we have received is far greater than what they received. They received a vision they saw for a little while, but we have received the real thing in the person of Christ. It has risen upon us. It's not going to set again, Isaiah says, but it has come in Christ and is with us. And for this reason, the prophet Isaiah speaks to those who are in darkness, to, to us. It's not just the, the children of Israel who were suffering, but a lot of times we also suffer in the darkness and the sinfulness of this world, and Isaiah is going to talk about that more. And when we do, he reminds us not to be downcast, not to be disheartened by the difficulties and the suffering and the evil and the sinfulness of this world, but rather to arise, to remember that the glory of the Lord has come to us in the person of Christ and to shine with that joy, that exceedingly great joy that the Magi showed. We continue with verse 2. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. This verse reminds us of the ninth plague that happened when the children of Israel were in Egypt. You may remember the ninth plague was darkness. Darkness covered the face of the earth. And I've always found that ninth plague to be one of the most fascinating because the Bible indicates that it wasn't just the, the light of the heavens. It wasn't just the stars and the sun and the moon that were dark. It's not just as if there's some cloud blocking the light of the heavens. Because the Bible says that there was darkness even in their homes, the homes of the Egyptians, indicating that even if they tried to light a candle or light their oil lamps or light a fire, that that too gave off no light. I don't know if they just weren't able to light those things or if they did light the fires and, and just, the fires just didn't give off light, but the Bible clearly indicates they had no light even in their homes, except in the homes of the Israelites. There they had light, but in the rest of the land of Egypt there was only a deep darkness. This is the same thing that the prophet Isaiah describes here. In this verse, there is deep darkness over the face of the whole earth, but the Lord has risen with his light, his glory upon his people. So that there is light in the hearts of those who believe in Jesus. The light exists only in those who come to Christ. Just like the Egyptians were unable even to create light in their own homes, so also God's word says that those who are without Christ are also similarly unable to create light. It's, it's speaking here, obviously, of, of spiritual light. And so it is that throughout the world, those who don't know God's word, who don't know Christ, they do try 
to create their own light. And yet they so often fail. In fact, some of the worst atrocities that have been visited upon this earth have been the result of people trying to do what they think is creating light. Karl Marx and Stalin are a good example. They didn't wake up one morning and decide to, to be evil. They were trying to do what they thought was good for the poor in Russia or in that part of the world. And yet the result was violence, terror, and atrocities. Uh, Dr. Pieper, speaking of this verse, and he's speaking here of World War I, although he doesn't call it World War I, he calls it this World War. That gives you a good idea when he wrote his um, commentary on Isaiah. But he says, it was the wisdom, virtue, the highest culture of the world that united to devote all the world's knowledge, power, and wealth to the titanic struggle of the nations in this world war, bent on destroying themselves and each other to what end? For nothing, absolutely nothing, except only to deceive and cheat each other with hollow phrases. When the wars can come to an end, men remain what they always were, sinful, evil, altogether evil. This is the deep darkness that Isaiah is talking about here that exists over the face of the whole world. And no matter how men strive to create light, they cannot do it. But the glory of the Lord is risen upon us. We have the light, which is Christ, and his glory, which has come to us in his forgiveness and in his love. And he, uh, the prophet continues to talk about this in the next verse. The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your calling. In verse 3 here, the New King James has the Gentiles and the ESV has nations, neither of which is quite right. Uh, the Gentiles kind of implies all the Gentiles and nations implies whole nations coming to the gospel. What the Hebrew actually indicates is that various men from among the nations will see that light and come. And so we remember the, the passage from Revelation, a great multitude from every tribe and tongue and nation. That's what Isaiah is talking about here. And so men from all over the world hear that gospel message, they see that light of Christ, and just like moths to a flame, right? Just like moths to a light, they come. They cannot help it, but coming to see the glory that is Christ. People often don't notice how dark the world really is, until they see the light of Christ. And they see the difference between the light that Christ gives and the light that is given off by the false religions and, and philosophies of this world. Everywhere the gospel is preached, it's so obvious that Christ is light that even those who reject that light, even the unbelievers, still often try to imitate it. If you study the history of Hinduism in uh, India... I'm sure a lot of you have done that, right? But if you were to study the history of Hinduism in India, you'd find that there's a big difference between Hinduism before the 17th century or the 18th century and Hinduism afterwards. When the, the, the gospel was in India from the time of Thomas, but with the coming of the, of the British Empire, it was preached much more widely. And after the, the gospel was being preached in India, the Hindus realized they had to change in order to compete. A lot of the more barbaric and vicious practices uh, were cut out of the Hindu, Hindu religion. 
in an attempt to try and emulate the mercy and grace of Christ. And this didn't happen only in India. But the same is true throughout the world. Wherever the gospel is preached, even those who don't believe it often attempt to change their own religions and philosophies to try and emulate the grace and mercy that we see in Christ Jesus, getting rid of the more barbaric practices. I've never, I've, I've never heard any Christian ever try to argue, well, our God is just as vicious and barbaric as, as your pagan gods. But you do often hear uh, those of other religions trying to argue that their gods are just as merciful and gracious as Christ, even though it's not true. The, the Muslims actually are taught to constantly repeat in the name of Allah, the beneficent, the merciful. It's almost as if they're trying to convince themselves that Allah really is merciful and gracious. Jesus is the light. Uh, his grace and mercy is clearly seen not by constantly repeating Jesus the merciful, but his light is, and his grace and mercy is seen in that he came and he died for our sins, that he willingly served, came to serve, rather than to be served. The prophet continues with verse 4. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar, and your daughter shall be nursed at your side. Lift up your eyes. Whenever you are in darkness or downcast or depressed, lift up your eyes, the prophet says, and see what's happening. The coming of the Magi to worship Jesus is a very wonderful thing. It's a reason for us to rejoice. There's nothing that causes a Christian more joy than to see others coming to worship Jesus, coming with us to worship Jesus. That's why David wrote in Psalm 122, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. That's what David is talking about in this psalm, is that there's no greater joy for him than when others also come to worship Jesus. Just imagine if a group of, of men from uh, Iraq or Iran or Afghanistan, from that Persian area of the world, came in to worship with us this morning. Well, how joyful that would be to know that, well, yes, even over there, those men know and worship Jesus. And so the prophet encourages us with these words, just as God encouraged Elijah. Remember when Elijah was downcast and ready to give up? God encouraged him by saying, there are still 7,000, Elijah. There are still 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And so the prophet encourages us as well to look up to lift up our eyes and see the multitudes that come, the Gentiles coming to the light of Christ. It can be kind of discouraging when the numbers in our church are down and when attendance in our, in our church services are, is dwindling a little bit. But the prophet tells us to lift up our eyes and see the greater picture. All those that are coming to Jesus, even if they're uh, maybe not coming here to this church, all those who are coming to Jesus in Africa and in India and throughout the whole world and to rejoice in that knowledge. After all, this is why we endure. This is why we suffer and endure tribulation. If it weren't for this fact, well, then God could simply take us home to heaven as soon as we become believers and well, we wouldn't have to suffer and endure in this life. But God leaves us here on this earth, at least partially, so that we can share that light, that gospel with others. So that others can come and worship with us and see the risen Christ who was born for us. 
And so we endure with the suffering, we endure the troubles and the tribulation, we endure this dark, cold, sinful, lonely world so that others can come and worship with us. It's not a, an easy thing, but we also come with that great, that exceedingly great joy. We rejoice with the Magi to lift up our eyes and see that glory of the Lord and see those others who are coming to worship. We finish then with verses 5 and 6. Then you shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. The multitude of camels shall cover your land, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephrah, and those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense. They shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. This verse describes all the, the wealth of the nations, flowing into the land of God's people. It mentions camels and dromedaries, which of course was a status symbol, it was a very expensive mode of travel. So it was kind of like the Rolls Royce of, of the ancient world. You got a camel, you're, you're doing pretty well. And it also mentions, of course, gold and incense. And it mentions all this wealth pouring into God's people. Now God here isn't talking just about the wealth of gold, He's talking about all the wealth of the world, uh, all the, the knowledge of man, all the literature, science, math, painting, music, whatever, coming and being brought to the church and enriching God's people when it serves God's word. These things do uh, enrich our lives as well when they serve God's word rather than trying to rule over God's word. And God mentions all of this wealth flowing into uh, God's people and receiving all this wealth. He does it, though, not so that we will think, oh, great, you know, I'll be, if I'm a Christian, I'll be wealthy and have lots of gold. But rather, he does it so that we would understand the great treasure that we have in Christ. These people are, are bringing, like the Magi, they're bringing their wealth and laying it at Christ's feet, willingly laying it at Christ's feet, because they understand the far greater treasure that we have in Christ Jesus. How very sad and foolish it would be of us to do the opposite. To leave behind Christ for the wealth of the world. God, the prophet encourages in our text to recognize how much more precious this gift is, this child is, uh, this gospel is, this wonderful message of forgiveness of sins is that we have in Christ than the gold and the silver of this world. The reason David and I went down to Texas, you guys have been waiting the whole sermon to find out, right? The reason Dave and I went down to Texas was because there was a, a pastor, an LCMS, Missouri Synod pastor, who was retiring and who told David that he could have all of his books, uh, all of his commentaries and theology books, if he came down to get them. And so the, the trip was well worth it for David. I didn't get much out of it other than Texas barbecue, which it might have been worth it just for that. It's really good stuff. <laughs> but uh, it was well worth the gas and the time for David uh, to receive a car, and the, our car was, was packed full of those books. We didn't have much room left after we, we loaded the car up with all the books that that pastor gave us. Uh, to receive that was a, a precious treasure that I'm sure he's still using to this day. The Magi made the trip for a much greater treasure uh, even than books. They came to see and worship the king, to receive that light that has risen upon us. It was well worth it for them and for us as well. And so the prophet Isaiah encourages us to arise and shine and come and see the Christ with the Magi 
and take him home so that that light may go with us throughout our whole lives. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.